Okay, if you guys have your Bibles, and if you don't, there's some Bibles up here, some brand new Bibles. Would you go ahead and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2? 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verse 13 all the way to the end of the chapter. We'll finish off the second chapter of 1 Peter in our journey through the book. So maybe thumbs up when you guys are there. That's pretty good. All right. We're going to go ahead and read and then we'll pray. It says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Father, as we approach this passage, Lord, I pray that you would um, just humble our hearts, God. Help us to look at your word uh, with the hopes to... um, Seek to be more like you, Jesus, and uh, help us to pursue holiness with our hearts. Help us to have ears to hear. Um, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak through me um, in this time. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Today is June 13th. In 21 days, we're going to celebrate a holiday that is unique to America. Bryce's birthday. Yeah! Yeah. Actually, it's July 4th, Independence Day, as we sometimes call it, the day that we broke free uh, as our own independent nation, right? And Independence Day is a a day that we kind of hold dear to our hearts as a nation. It's a day that we celebrate freedom. And freedom in general is something really dear to uh, the heart of the typical American person. We like to say that we are a free country. In our national anthem, we sing, Land of the Free. Right? Exactly. (laughs) Or maybe you approach someone who's doing something that you aren't so fond of, and you tell them, you maybe ask them politely to stop, and what's the response? It's a free country, right? We hold on to this idea that we are free. This is something that we cling close to. We care a lot about freedom. Freedom is a good thing. However, our sinful hearts are naturally drawn to a prodigal child sense of freedom, 
where we say, I am my own authority. I am my own boss. I make my destiny. I make my future. I'm better off declaring uh, my family, not my family. And I'm better off on my own and doing my own thing. And, and that's how I'm going to have my best life. By being on my own, that's how I'm going to be free and independent. And so when we approach a passage like this, it can be uh, kind of intimidating because th- this, it seems as if this passage is saying the complete opposite of this. Perhaps our definition of freedom um, is a bit worldly at times. Because here in this passage, Peter is saying um, pretty much that you are to be submissive in conduct during your exile for the Lord's sake. Or in other words, it is pleasing to the Lord to obey the authorities that have been instituted over you. Like I said, this can be a very repulsive thing to intake at first. It can be daunting to look at a passage like this that's telling you to be subject to things, to submit to things. And I'd like you to take a second and think about perhaps the original audience that was intaking this passage. If you think that this is a scary thing to read, think about the people who were originally reading this. The people who were already at the time facing persecution, as we saw in the first chapter that we were looking at. People who were already going through trials and, and uh, times of suffering. And although the church had not, uh, or the state, I should say, had not yet officially started persecuting the church at this time, they were still feeling forms of persecution. So when they read this, when they read Peter telling them to be submissive to this uh, state that is already starting to feel like it's persecuting them, you can imagine that they're probably pretty taken back, right? And that's our original response too, or our immediate response. And so when submission seems complicated and overbearing, I'm going to give you a saying, comfort yourself, comfort your mind with a hug. Hug is an acronym I came up with. A genius acronym, I should say, uh, of three things that you ought to keep in mind when approaching this idea of, of submitting, submitting to authority. If you're taking notes, uh, this is something you could write down. The H in the acronym stands for human authority. The U in the acronym stands for unjust suffering. And the G stands for good shepherd. Human authority, unjust suffering, and good shepherd. We're going to look at how these three things build off of each other as uh, we look through the passage. But we start with human authority. Look down with me at verse 13. It says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors uh, as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Now, before we get too far into this, I think it's important that you keep in mind that, that our God is sovereign, right? That these people who are put in authority over you have been placed there by the Lord. They have been instituted in that position by God himself. If you look, uh, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. But in Romans 13, 1, we get a similar passage. And, and the first sentence of it says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Whether it be civil government or family, people who are in authority over you have been put there by God. 
And this is not to say that, that they are necessarily godly people or that you know, they are Christ-like in nature or anything like that. And I would even argue that many of the people in civil government authority uh, throughout history aren't like that at all. But it is to say that it is not a mistake that these people are here. They have been instituted by the Lord. And so therefore, submitting to those people and obeying their authority is an extension obeying the Father. So, in verse 13, this is sort of the thesis statement, I would say, for uh, this, this first little chunk. Submit, uh, be subject to, or be subject for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. Be subject could be replaced with submit. Submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Focus on every human institution. This is not just civil government. And as a matter of fact, uh, high schoolers and middle schoolers, I would say that maybe a better point of application when reading this is to keep in mind the authority over you in the terms of your boss, pastors, teachers, parents. I would encourage you to keep those things in mind. When I was your guys' age, when I was in high school, I remember approaching my parents, excited, as a freshman, a young, fresh blood freshman, I don't know what, fresh, what to say. Fresh me. Fresh me, sure. <laughs> I approached them, I was excited, I was like, Mom, Dad, I'm gonna ask out a girl. Like, okay, and my, I remember my dad giving me some counsel, and I was talking to him, and he said, well, is she a Christian? And I said, no, but, you know, I, I and, and then he was saying, well, I don't think that it's probably the best idea for you to date her then if she's not a Christian. And I just remember thinking, what does it matter if she's not a Christian? Well, like, well, like, I mean, you know, I didn't say this, but in my rebellious mind, I was like, what does it matter if she's not a Christian? I mean, it's, we're going from Mormonism to, you know, it was, it was a tough time. But I just, in my head, I was like, what, what, it's not like I'm, you know, proposing. It's not like I have a ring. It's not like I'm planning on being with her for the rest of my life. I didn't understand what the big deal was. Three months later, um, even though I decided to reject that counsel, um, it turns out that he had a point, right? There is wisdom in that counsel. And often, uh, it's sometimes difficult as high schoolers to comprehend this, but believe me, I was in your shoes. Uh, it's easy to think, oh, I'm 15 years old, I'm 16 years old, up to 18, and, and so I know everything that there is to know in the world, but can I just maybe... Uh, suggest to you that you don't and that oftentimes the authority that has been established over you is because they have more wisdom than you. So in short, listen to your parents. Look at verse 15. It says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. This part right here, when I first read it, I was just wrestling with. I was frustrated a little bit because it's like, okay, the first sentence of this is submit to authority. And then they're telling me to, to live as a free person. And then again, to be a servant to God, a slave to God. What, what am I supposed to be... A, Submitting? Am I supposed to be free? Am I supposed to be a slave? And this 
Seems like a contradiction at first, but again, it's because we have a skewed view of what freedom means. And it will take the rest of this passage to actually understand that, so we will visit that again. But the second part to this whole idea of submitting to human authority is to do it for the Lord's sake. Look at verse 13, for the Lord's sake. Verse 16, at the end of it, be servants of God. Verse 17, towards the end, fear God. You are to submit to have every human authority for the Lord's sake. In other senses, or in other words, if, if a certain authority over you is causing you to sin, or if it's uh, telling you to sin, or to somehow go contra- contrary to the word of God, then you aren't to submit to it, but you're actually to resist that. We see Jesus uh, resisting, uh, rebuking the Pharisees. He's not just submitting to them when they're spitting out heresy. He's rebuking them. Or when, when, when people are turning his uh, father's house into a den of thieves, he's flipping tables, right? You don't just submit with blindness. You submit, and by extension, obeying the father. But when something is happening that is making you or causing you to sin, you don't submit, but you actually resist. Verse 17 is a good conclusion sentence for this uh, first paragraph. It says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So let's walk through that. Honor everyone. As in verse 12, like we looked at a couple weeks ago, conduct yourselves with honor towards the Gentiles so that they may glorify God on the day of visitation. Honor everyone. That's beyond respectful, right? You are honoring people so that maybe you can see this promise fulfilled that they might look to God and glorify him or or in verse uh, 15 as we have it, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Honor everyone so that their slander against you might be silenced. But then we take it a step up a notch. Love the brotherhood. So if honor everyone, love the brotherhood. The brotherhood, meaning brothers and sisters in Christ, people who are co-heirs with Christ and with you for the kingdom of heaven to inherit heavenly gifts that we've looked at in 1 Peter, or chapter 1. People who you are told to love earnestly, people who you are going to uh, inherit these things within the kingdom of God, people who have been adopted into the same family as you have, you are to love these people. And then we take it up another step where it says, fear God. Fear God with a reverence. Fear God, the God who who has saved you from being a child of wrath and has adopted you into a family of grace. Fear God, this God who is keeping hold your faith intact for you, who is keeping these heavenly gifts for you uh, and, and and is guarding your faith. And then almost in a twist of irony, we come back to the word honor the emperor. So if I were to read this passage, I would read it like this. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Do you understand that, that it is, I mean, yes and amen, it is a command to obey and to submit to authority over you. But let me tell you, if you have put 
certain human authorities up here, while God is right here in your overall, overall authority, then you have skewed your priorities. You fear God. You don't fear men. But in your submission to men, you are by extension submitting to the Lord. So, we have human authority. And now, we will look at how, how this isn't always as simple as it might seem, submitting to human authority. Look at verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. In verse 18, servants, slaves, right? Most of your translations will say servants, but this word originally means slaves. And the reason we use the word servants is because we have a very, very negative connotation to the horrible slavery that was performed here in America. But back then, uh, I'm not arguing for slavery or anything, but slaves at the time were often people who were paid, people who had uh, had refined skills for what they were doing, and, and most of all, people who often had good relations with their masters. Not all the time, as we see here, but that was kind of often what it was. And I make this point to say that slaves were the most common employee. So when people are reading this passage, when the elect exiles are intaking this passage, it is a term that is relatable to them. And here we see the point that anytime there's human authority, unjust suffering is to be assumed. Even with the best parents in the world, they will have bad days. And, you're, and so if you are the child, you will suffer unjustly on some days. Anytime there's human authority, unjust suffering is to be assumed. And unjust suffering, as verse 19 says, is a gracious thing when mindful of God. If you, un, if you suffer unjustly for the Lord, it is a commendable thing in the eyes of God. Let's expand on this. Look at verse 20. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. In other words, what, what credit is it if, if you do something wrong and then you go and pay the time, right? If I steal something and then I go to jail for a certain amount of time and then I come out, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to assume that I'm going to walk out to some sort of applause or anything, right? I did the crime. I paid the time. I'm even again, right? But he's saying... That if you are accused of something that either you haven't done or it's something that was good that you did and you suffer unjustly for it, this is commendable in the eyes of the Lord. This is a gracious thing in the eyes of the Lord. When I was younger, in elementary school, I remember, I mean, I remember this vividly because I'm a great student. I mean, well, I was better back then, but, but I was, you know, a, a teacher's pet. I it was always focused, never, you know, making, causing a distraction or anything like that. And one day we were sitting in the library and our teacher was reading us a book. 
And I was paying attention, laser focused, as always. My friend, who I was sitting with, who was sitting next to me, he leans over and he whispers something. I don't care what he was saying. I wasn't paying attention. I wasn't listening to him. I was so focused in that I didn't care what he was saying. And I just remember the teacher looked in our direction, pointed right at me. And I was like, oh, you're in for it now. She says, Keegan, no talking. But Mrs. I, I don't want to hear it. No excuses. Go put your head down. I think I was crying. <laughs> put my head down. There's nothing worse than the feeling, or not even the feeling, there's nothing worse than being accused of something that you didn't do. It's as if you were accused of cheating on a test that you studied hard for, and you aced. And they're like, no, you cheated. How about a more serious example, such as the early apostles? I mean, are you aware that in verse 13, this emperor that Peter is addressing is Nero, who in just a few years would put Peter to his death for proclaiming Christ. The very Peter that wrote this letter submitted to authority even in unjust suffering. It's not supposed to be easy. We are called to bear a cross, not to live our best lives. Or as R.C. Sproul puts it, our vocation is a call to suffer. Your duty as, as a Christian on this earth is a call to suffer. Now, Peter, you don't have my best interest at heart. You're telling me to, to submit to some sort of abusive authority over me? Take for a minute. Look, look at... Um, 1 Peter 1.15. It says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So if you feel like this is unfair, maybe we should take a moment to look at the Holy One as our perfect example. In verse uh, 21 we look at this. It says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. But when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Are you aware that the cross was the worst injustice that has ever happened in the world? That Jesus, who was perfect and righteous, sinless and blameless and spotless, had no sin in him, walked willingly to the cross and was put to death for our sins. I mean, you want to talk about being accused of a test that you didn't cheat on? You're still a sinner. You've cheated on tests in the past. You didn't, you, maybe you didn't do it this time and you were accused and that's unjust suffering. But Christ, who never cheated on a test, who had no blame in him, walked to the cross, submitted to the authority that was over him, the human authority that put him to death. He submitted to the human authority over him and by extension, he submitted to the Father's will. 
And he suffered unjustly, not just torment, but the full wrath of God for our sins. So as you can see, submission does not equal weakness, but actually great strength. When Jesus was on the cross, his words were, Father, forgive them. He wasn't complaining. He wasn't reviling. Father, forgive them. When they were mocking him and saying, if you're the son of God, then come down here and prove it. He could have. He could have Thanos snapped those guys right out of existence. (laughs) But he lived a perfect life even unto death, a perfect example that we are called to live as well of suffering. We have a perfect example of endurance through suffering in Christ. I love the illustration that Michael Lawrence gives when he talks about this uh, passage. He says, it's as if when you're learning cursive and you're given dotted lines, and that's how you, that's how you learn cursive is you trace over them. It's as if we've been given the dotted lines of living and suffering through Christ and we're to trace those. We have a perfect example in Christ. So as you consider what it looks like to live a godly life, you must understand that being subject to human authority is a call to suffer in itself. But how can this be done? I mean, I get that we have a perfect example, but I'm not Jesus. This it seems like way too much for any one person to bear. How could all of the apostles be put to death and walk to their own crosses and be beheaded and all these things with a smile on their face, knowing that they were going to see Christ. How can they do that though? How can you endure suffering? This is why we must remember the third letter of the acronym, G, which stands for good shepherd. Look with me at verses 24 and 25. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This whole, this whole chunk right here, all the way from verse 18 to 25, it just has language in it that mimics the language of Isaiah 53, which is the song of the suffering servant. Say It says in Isaiah 53, 6, All we like sheep have gone astray, each one of us his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, Christ, the iniquity of us all. Notice the transition here from viewing Christ as sufferer to Christ as savior. Christ as sufferer is a perfect example for us that we are to live and, uh, and try to be like. We're to mimic. But Christ as Savior is nothing that we can mimic. You cannot die for the sins of the world. That is a free gift of grace that has been given to you. Focus on that final line. You were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Overseer of your souls. Some of your translations might say bishop, if you're old school. 
And some of them might say guardian of your souls. The overseer, the bishop, the guardian, someone who is guarding your soul, someone who is watching intently over your souls, a good shepherd. That is what a good shepherd does. And so foolish is he or she who thinks that his or her life is better spent wandering aimlessly away from the herd simply to be on their own. Foolish is the prodigal child who seeks freedom, their own freedom. I need to make this point clear. A wandering sheep is not a beautiful image. It's a tragic image. When a sheep is wandering, that sheep is just assumed to to be wandering to its death. That sheep needs a shepherd. If a sheep wanders on its own, it is wandering to its death. Which makes the words of John 10, 11 so sweet. When Christ says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I mean, Christians rejoice that, that Christ is your shepherd, that he is the overseer of your souls, that he died after living a perfect life so that now you can be free. I, I, I loved one of the things that uh, Aaron said this morning in his prayer, actually. I don't remember the exact quote, but it was something like, Because of these great truths, we trust your goodwill for us. Because of these great truths, because you are the good shepherd, because you laid down your life, we trust your good will for us. If you attempt the H and the U without the G, if you attempt to submit to human authority and to endure all the unjust suffering, like, yeah, I'm big and strong, I can do it, and you don't trust in your good shepherd, You are approaching this therapeutically and you will have all this tension build up inside you and all this tension that just comes from bitterness and anger. And I mean, you're just suppressing it and then eventually you're going to explode. But because of these great truths, we can trust God's goodwill for us. Or as Alistair Begg says, obey the command, trust the promise. Obey the command to submit. Trust the promise that stems from that. Trust the promise in verse 15 that people will be, that the enemies will be silenced for this. Trust the promise that was exemplified in Christ in verse 23 when it says that he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And trust yourself to the good shepherd. That is the only way you can do the H and the U. So after looking at this passage, we're left with the question, what is wrong with freedom? Well, nothing. Freedom is a good thing. Or rather, I would say it's, it's the definition that is dangerous. But this is your freedom in Christ. When you think of yourselves as a free Christian, this is what you should think of. In that because he laid down his life for you, you are free from the shackles of sin. You are no longer chained to this world. Rather, you are free from it. 
So submission to human authority and unjust suffering are not only grudgingly endured, but joyfully accepted to the Christian who trusts in the wisdom of their good shepherd. In shorter terms, being free means that nothing in this world can steal your joy. This is what it means to have a good shepherd that has laid down his life for you. So because you are free in Christ, because no one can touch this living hope that you have, because you can be joyful even unto suffering, human authority is what you must submit to. Unjust suffering is what you must endure. And a good shepherd is who you must look to as both the perfect example and the one who gives you strength to do these things. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can trust you as our good shepherd, Lord. Jesus, we thank you that you laid down your life in order that we might be saved, in order that we might be free from sin. Lord, help us to live out this freedom, knowing that nothing can touch us. Help us to live submissively as we've been called to do. Help us to joyfully approach unjust suffering, knowing that it is commendable in your eyes, Lord. Help us to live, help us to live as your servants. We thank you for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.